Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Welcome to Impact the World. My guest on this show is Lucy Wallace. Lucy's an old friend and she's doing some really amazing things in the world. She has a master's degree in transpersonal psychology, specializing in the trauma that manifests itself in the body. But she has been a dance instructor for many years and I was there when in 2015, a light bulb went off for Lucy around taking and using her work and really putting the power of her mission into her work. Her mission being to improve the lives of incarcerated women through the healing power of dance. So she has been not only taking dance classes into many prisons across the US, but she has also been training prisoners to lead classes for other prisoners. We did this interview during Corona lockdown. So Lucy was at home in Boulder, Colorado, and she explained to me before we started that she had been teaching on Zoom in some of the prisons. But what we talk about in this conversation is how she got started, how she figured out how to do a nonprofit with no background with nonprofits. Lucy and I also touched on a topic that has been dear and close to our hearts for many years, which is race, systemic racism, and what can we possibly do about it? So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Lucy and for any of you who are feeling like you need to be inspired into action. Lucy is a great example of somebody who didn't know exactly what she was getting herself into, and yet her work and her mission has grown really steadily over the last five years. Enjoy. Lucy, thank you so much for being with us. You know, as I explained in my introduction, we've been friends for kind of eight years now. And one of the most exciting things for me in getting to interview you today is I was there at the beginning of you embarking on this journey and I got to witness the joy in your eyes. I remember the first time you came back from a prison for your first time teaching, you were the embodiment of someone on fire and you were activated. And and I remember it it moved through you for many, many months. Like it actually changed the whole course of your life. And I could see you going through that struggle of, well, actually, I don't want to just be a dance teacher anymore, uh, you know, kind of on the, in, in, in the regular class. It was really fascinating. And then to see what you've done is amazing. So perhaps for people who've never heard of Dance to Be Free before or are new to you and your work, how could you describe what it is that you do to, to, a, to a new person? So essentially, I go into women's prisons and I teach them how to teach each other. And so it's a real, um, the program is, is about empowering the women who maybe never had the chance to feel leadership. But um, to give you just a little background of how it sparked when you were there, you know, with me in Boulder, um, it was just a casual conversation. Um, the idea came to make my dance studio into a nonprofit. And then that uh, spilled out into another moment. It really feels like an auspicious moment in time where the idea to make my studio into a nonprofit, another friend came in and said, what if you took what you do to women in prison? And it was, I, I like to point out that I'm a pretty neurotic self-doubting person in some arenas where I'll think what if or no that won't work or um you know all the kind of fearful thoughts that can happen when we have creative when we have creativity I was just like oh my god there was no reason not to there was an, no really and I still think about that why wouldn't I <laughs> why wouldn't one dance in prison and so um the 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 courage though to go in is another story. And I feel like um, I, because of my psychology background, I, I studied trauma through the body. And so we didn't have theoretical intellectual um, lectures. It was really about 
trauma is in the tissues, it's in our posture, it's in our brain, our reptilian brain, it's uh, fight, flight, or freeze responses that can't be like processed through the, the mind. And so when I thought, I just knew instinctively this is a traumatized population and movement is key. And so I didn't say that when I presented the idea to the captain that I finally got a hold of in Denver. I just said, can I come and dance at your facility? And he said, yes. And to this day, I've been in 16 prisons. I've never had someone say no, a warden or a captain. And so I went in and I, I was so scared. Um, I think back to, wow, there was just something um, pushing. It it was like, this must happen. This is um, maybe predestined or something. It was such a feeling of um, simplicity. And, and I can't say I knew right away that we would do the teacher trainings. We just went into dance every week. And then we thought, why don't we teach them how to teach each other? And then that went to a whole nother level of um, really deep, more spiritual, more emotional um, time with them because I would be in a circle with five women and I got to hear their stories. We did journaling, we did poetry, um, opening circles, closing circles, and Sorry, I just want to say, can you hear that beeping? Is it really obnoxious outside? Not at all. It's just a sign that you're saying the right thing if the siren goes off. Or <laughs> There's a stucco machine machinery. Anyway, well, so thank uh, God we all need some stucco in our life. But um, but actually, Lucy, I'm I'm realizing probably because I have knowledge of of what you do, but perhaps for someone tuning in what is it to teach a dance class in prison? So perhaps you could start with that first class you taught, like what did that look like? Uh, how, what is your type of dance in prison? So I like to um, joke that it's like emotional Beyonce choreography. <laughs> <laughs> Which having taken your classes in Boulder, it's true. It is emotional Beyonce choreography. It's very emotional. It's very fun. And it's a bit sexy. And you're, very, you're a fireball at the front. Oh, I forgot when you came to my class, that was pure magic. Um, so it is uh, choreographed, so not a lot of free dance. It's about 12 songs without stopping in a row. It builds in an arc of um, kind of slow. I use all types of music, um, Lord, Eminem, Madonna, Beyonce. Um, so usually pop, usually recognizable. Um, and then it gets really high energy and that's where you want, you want to kind of get people out of their minds and into just pure um, experience. And then it comes down into a cool down and stretch. And so it's an hour. And um, I walked in July 1st, 2015, wearing very loose clothing and uh, sneakers. And, you know, I kind of just took it down a notch. And then I um, walked into this huge gym with, you know, sports logos and bright lights and they had a boom and sound system. And I, I, um, to, to warm the crowd up, I always laugh that I, I played Depeche Mode. <laughs> so random, you know, eighties music. In and this girl was so cool. Michelle, who ended up being one of our strongest teachers. She's like, that's my jam. <laughs> that's great. Warming up the crowd. I only had about eight women and two friends with me. So um, I never go in alone. And I just danced with the women behind me and I led, you know, the choreography. And that very first moment I started to move. So the first song I chose was um, Lord and it's called uh, 400 Lux or something. And, and she actually says, I want to kill it with you repeatedly. So it wasn't like the best choice of song, but I, I, <laughs> <laughs> but I just went like this to the right and this heavier kind of Samoan looking woman who was there for a life sentence said under her breath, but I heard it, she said, oh, this is spiritual. And I was like, oh my gosh, she gets it. She gets it without me having to say a word that what we're doing is way deeper than exercise. It's not about calorie burning. It's, it's not about getting it right. It's, um, it's really about... Um, having these women feel safe in their body because they were most likely violated 
um, beaten, raped, all of it. And so when you're traumatized, you, you're not in control of your body, but when you're dancing, you're in control. And that is so healing. And so we finished up the class. The sergeant said she loved it. And then we just kept going back every week. So that's that very first experience. Six months later, we did the teacher training and that's where it went to that whole deeper level. I remember one of the first things you, there were a group of us, it was a party that we were at in Boulder and there were a few of us and you were explaining to us like how you were experiencing this. And I remember it was, it was like watching someone having a very powerful spiritual awakening through the form of their purpose. Because for you, you know, you'd studied spirituality, you'd gone to various things over the years, but this was different. This, it's like you had become activated and you were on fire. Mm-hmm. And you also, I remember, in, and you were very honest about this, it's like you didn't quite know who you were for a while because this new thing had come along that had upended the way you felt about so many other aspects of your life. But I always remember you spelling it out to us. You said, if I had just been stopped by the wrong person at the wrong time i could be in prison like a lot of these women are like you were basically pointing out to us that sure yeah there were some big people in there for big crimes but also people who perhaps lived in the wrong neighborhood had the wrong color skin um quite minor things they had done that had landed them in prison for years and that always stayed with me I, i i remember that was a real teaching moment that you were giving so many of us who perhaps weren't so privy to that Oh, completely. I mean, that's what Obama said. I think when he went to visit a prison in maybe Oklahoma, there but for the grace go I, that expression or something like that, where uh, that is such a big difference. And And when staff can say that to me, even, you know, captains and sergeants can say that, like, I could be here. I, that's the ultimate humility, because really, how many of us can relate to that? Yeah. I mean, I think the simplest one is um, I've met women who killed people drunk driving. I mean, can you, how many of us have been stupid in that regard or completely about, um, the color of our skin is a big, huge reality there. And so, um, and have you seen uh, 13 Ava DuVernay's documentary? Is it 13 or 13th? Uh, 13th. But, and it's unbelievable. Like, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, I think it was a couple of years ago I saw that. It's so it lays it all out so well. That's the kind of information we need if we aren't privy to that stuff. Right. It's basically legalized slavery. Yes. Is what we're seeing. Yeah. yeah. And especially in the South. Right. And you, you've been doing a lot of work in the South. Yeah. The first one I visited was Arkansas. And, um, I pulled up to the prison and there was guards on horses with black men with, you know, like fabric on their head and they were in sort of a ditch. And I was like, what year are we in? And um, in the South, they live in barracks. So it's like a big uh, warehouse with cots and um, lights on 24 seven. And this is all over the South. So I'm not just like, um, making any particular state look bad, but it was uh, lights on 24 seven, exposed toilets, exposed shower heads, barracks. You have your bed and maybe like a little something for storage, never alone. And now with COVID, they have no programming. They're in there 22 hours a day. And then, um, I believe that's happening in a couple of the states we've been in in the South, is that barrack style um, and that kind of schedule. And so um, it's a recipe for, I think, mental illness to live in that kind of environment. Um, But we went in, we went into Arkansas, we had a great group, and then we expanded to um, the maximum facility. So I've I've mainly been in maximum um, and they're all so different. Each facility, each state is is fascinatingly different from Hawaii to Florida. I have seen like massive differences around security, you know, in one prison, I can just drive in. I don't even get out of my car. Another, I have to take off my shoes. I can't wear certain colors. Um, It can be so strict and then be so loose. In some prisons, I'm alone. I'm literally by myself with my volunteers with 
no staff. What? (laughs) As it goes on, I feel like everything becomes more and more surreal. And I'm, and it's like, um, and there's such a magic to it that I, I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm so lucky. I'm, I'm surrounded by some protection. But then I think, is that my privilege? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that just hit me, mm-hmm. you know, a few weeks ago, like, oh, maybe I just feel this safety because I am so, I'm just looking at what I represent now as a blonde white woman when I yeah. go in to I the South, like that's, mm-hmm. um, Yep. Stuff that we don't as white people, you know, as you know, Stephen, my husband's African-American, my friends who are of color, it's like they have a reality that I, I've never had to think about. So it's, yeah. Truly. Like I, if I could just tell a little quick story, Please. I went to the Civil Rights Museum in Mississippi last time. The last training I did was in Mississippi before COVID. And I brought a um, black woman who's now an employee of mine. Her name's Demetrius. I met her in prison in Nebraska. Um, she got out and now she's co-teaching. Mm-hmm. She's, nice. uh, she's amazing. So she said, I want to go to the Civil Rights Museum. And so I went uh, with her and um, a sister from another mister named Lily Wallace. Random. The three of us go in. Lily and I are white. Everyone in the museum is black. All these little kids were there who were just these beautiful like five-year-old black children singing this little light of mine. I want to let it shine. And then the the museum was an arc where you walk around the timeline of slavery, you know, through Jim Crow till now. And then there was a black box theater about um, Medgar Evers, who was an activist. I never heard of him until I saw the airport was named after him. (laughs) Like, why don't I know this man? He's like, he was like as impactful as, Martin Luther King and um, Malcolm X. And it was a black box theater where you got to see on a little screen, the story of his life and how he was assassinated. And I was sitting in there with all these black women and then one white woman. And then the rifle that killed him was in a plexiglass box lit up. And then the, the part in the movie that came to him being shot, you heard the super loud, you know, rifle and I didn't even quiver. I just sat there. And then every black woman was like, and I just, it was so, ugh, it was so disturbed. It's like, I have felt safe in my body my entire life, mostly. I mean, as a woman, of course, I have fear sometimes, yeah. but I just, that was so impacting to me of like the nervous system. Oh, I, I just, um, so yeah. I think ultimately what Dance to Be Free in my um, goal is to help women feel safe in their body. And so um, we don't need to dig up their past. We don't need to talk about their trauma. Um, The movement solves it all. And then we do it together. You know, we're not doing it in isolation. We're in community. And then the writing and the poetry integrates it. And then they share if they want what they've written. And um, just the insights pour out, wisdom pours out because they're just such wise souls and um, they're so strong. They're such warriors. I mean, to hear their stories, it's like, oh, I was raped at three. Yeah, I, it's um, confounding. Like my brain often doesn't even know how to take it in. Um, and so there's probably some level of shutting down sometimes because it is too much, yeah. um, but it's so profound. I, I couldn't think of a deeper uh, avenue for healing. Like it's so clean and simple. We don't have to um, re-traumatize. Like talking about it can be re-traumatizing. It's interesting. I mean, this is a bit of a sidebar, but I did a lot of ecstatic dance or five rhythms. It's sometimes known as um, throughout my twenties and some some parts of my thirties. And I always was struck how we do this two-hour dance session together. And it would be super shamanic and you know all of us in there let go of so much and then at the end it was always a shame because they would invite people to speak and we'd sit down in a circle and and sometimes what was said was great and would enhance or add to what we'd just done and then understandably sometimes 
certain people would go into their mind and they would start to, because of what had come up, start to try and process it through their mind or mm. tell a very heavy story that unfortunately now couldn't be moved because the dance was over. So I always thought that was in, like, I really noticed that. And I also tried to remind myself of that too. It's like, if you just move, the mind can't sit there and go round and round and round and kind of hold it in. Right. But I, I have something to ask you. I remember you explaining the level of trust that the women who came to your classes had to have, not just to walk into that room and be with you, but also how they were going to get reacted to by the women who'd chosen not to come, who'd stayed out. Like, yep. I remember you telling me a bit about that. And that, of course, was something I hadn't really considered. But yeah, if you're one of the eight that walk into your class, how do the other prisoners treat you when you come back out into this fairly tribal ground that they're living in? Yeah. Yeah. Some would be teased. Um, or we once were dancing out in a courtyard of a prison and there were women laughing at us on the, you know, sidelines and I just said come on over here <laughs> and did any of them <laughs> I got so angry I was just yeah like I get it it's fear it's fear of vulnerability and um what astonishes me is when women come to a teacher training and there's maybe 25 I assumed for years they all knew each other I was like oh they, they must know each other and they don't and then they may be in completely different units. They've maybe seen each other in the yard, but they could be enemies. Um, and then they share so vulnerably. I, that blows my mind. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I mean, I really try to weave in humor almost right away because that... Which, which you're very good at, my friend. <laughs> it's one of the things that you're known for. And um, by the way, for anyone watching who would like to experience one of Lucy's classes, you have taken them online now, which is amazing. So um, you can check her out there at dancetobefree.org. And I highly recommend following Lucy as a teacher because if like me, you're like, well, I, I don't really do choreography, doesn't matter. Just take Lucy's class, you'll have a blast. <laughs> yeah, I'm Zooming every Saturday free, um, 10 a.m. Mountain Time. But um, yeah, it's like, the mind is, you know, stuck in taking ourselves so seriously or being cool or being defended. Um, but I, when I do, I'll do anything from face dancing to finger waving to, I, I have them say things on repeat, like, I know you lying. And then they say it <laughs> to music and then they make moves while they say these silly things like, um, we ready, like any phrase to just break again, the yeah. trance of me and I need to look good and I need to be cool. And so once there's laughter and um, playfulness, and then I, I play a video, a montage that I've made of, of babies dancing, of animals, of elders who just don't give two Fs. And mm. that the freedom is even more in prison. I see, I honestly see more liberation in prison than I do out here. And yeah. I think, wow, there's so, uh, like a, like a volley when I'm teaching, they'll just be like, Hey, and then I come back to Boulder and it's like, and, and we all look and you know, we got our outfits and yeah. <laughs> so the, 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 the Lululemon outfit can do all the expression for me. Right. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, I mean, I'm guessing it's just there is a, a, a there is a hunger to to express. Is, is is that what you put it down to when you go into the into the prisons? Yeah, yeah, and, and then they're they're walking in a straight line. They live in a box. There's mm. they're told what to do. Everything's a rule. Everything is a regulation. Um, and then I come in to say, wave your freak flag. Get it wrong. Mm. Um, show wrong who's boss. And <laughs> I'm just constantly saying, let go, let go. Um, and so I think then, then drops the performative aspect of like, oh, I'm dancing to um, be sexual or um, to actually feel free. And one woman said it so beautifully, when you have all of your freedoms taken from you, the only thing left to liberate is your body. Hmm. 
and I, and she was in prison for three years, wrongfully um, convicted. And, um, and then she met me um, in 2015 and she, she, for the first time said she could dance without being an object. Mm. And so there is sometimes like an impulse when we do a little free dancing exercise that the girls will go to twerking. And I try to name that as just like, notice if that's the go-to of your body as an object. And, um, you know, some of them may, maybe were pole dancers. And so there's just some of that and, and I get it, but I, I don't even sometimes know the impact if it's a really big group, someone might be crying all the way in the back and they're having revelations that um, just so naturally happen. Yeah. And, and so it is definitely expression. It's freedom. It's freedom in a place that you would never imagine. And so the, the juxtaposition is so existential sometimes. I, I mean, I've even been asked to bring it to death row. And I think, oh my God, I, I can't even imagine. Um, there is, there's a, a prison I went to where a woman was in solitary for 15 years because she didn't want to leave. And so that's a whole nother. Yes. So I was taken to her cell where she's been for 15 years and the warden wanted me to bring it there. And I thought, what a cool warden, first of all. Mm. Uh, so the, the directions this could go is, is boundless. That's, you know, I would, I would take it wherever it's asked, you know? Yeah. Well, and you said that you've been teacher training. So what does that mean? Are you training the teachers in a way, like are they then given like a weekly slot where one of these trains so that they can regularly be in the prison even if you're not there? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So they, um, at this point, like in Nebraska where I've gone so many times, they're so far along. They choreograph on their own, they teach on their own. They're so talented. Um, and then a prison like Pueblo also has um, women that are twice a week teaching. They rotate, they have like a whole system. They go up in front, they'll have 75 women in the gym. Amazing. I went down there once just to witness that and I was like, Oh my God. Like, would I ever have guessed five years ago? And, and this woman, I'll never forget, she came up to me. She's like, I just want you to know my enemy comes to this class every Friday night and I just go on the, the other side of the gym and I dance. I'm like, <laughs> so good. So know, good. It's a wordless journey. I'm like, what do you say to that? Or when that woman said, my mom's on death row, would you bring it to? her. I'm like, I don't even know where to put it. <laughs> yeah. Reference points. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm, I'm in the wilderness or something like there's plenty of arts programs in prisons for sure doing beautiful work. Mm. Um, but I don't know of many that go around the country in this way and then have the prisoners sustaining it. And so there's just times where I'm like being, my mind is just so stretched. Um, but yeah, the, that's the goal is that the women hold the program. Amazing. So keep growing to other prisons. Amazing. And so Lucy, you know, when I first knew you, it was 2012 and you had your dance studio in Boulder and that alone was like a, a job, like to kind of, you know, to, to, to have a commercial building and get enough people there to like cover the rent and cover the, you know, I, I mean, that alone was its own thing. Yeah. When you started to walk towards dance to be free, what have some of the steepest learning curves been for you around being at the head of, because I know you don't do this alone. I know you have amazing support, but being at the head of uh, the group who are making this nonprofit happen, right? What, what have what have been some of the steepest learning curves just with 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 holding that and making it happen in the world? Like, do you, do you mean managing a nonprofit? I, I guess managing the nonprofit and all that's all that's gone with it in in this circumstance, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's definitely it's been challenging. I, I, I the easiest part is being in prison. Um, 
I always joke like I, it's easier to dance with, and, and there's not a lot of women who've committed murder, honestly, in prison, but I, it, I, I make the joke of like, it's easier to dance with murderers than it was to run that studio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, um, it was also hard because I'm in a very privileged town. And so it was hard to, um, to feel the inspiration, but to, to manage a, a, the nonprofit has been, it's been hard. It's been tricky. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I do like to point that out. Um, I didn't let that stop me of like, I don't know how to have a board of director, um, board of directors. I don't know how to fundraise. I don't know how to budget in my life. I don't know how (laughs) to, um, I don't really do structure and like even the word strategy. I'm like, what does that mean? (laughs) I'm so emotional. I'm impulsive. I'm, I'm a little wild. And so yeah. I, 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 uh, having a board and having a budget and having uh, a five, five year strategy. I'm like, what, yeah. <laughs> how would we have ever known five years ago, even a year ago? And then we have COVID. It's like, I understand there's a place for structure and we need it. It's just funny how it's, um, it's definitely not my, my gig, but um, it's been it's been a little hard to handle. Uh, I'm, I think I'm conflict avoidant, and so that's been really exhausting in terms of having a board and um, my. And how has that gone? Because and, and the reason I'm pausing you there is I think a lot of the people that will watch this or listen to this because perhaps they know my work, um, you know, tends to be more empathic, sensitive people. I don't like conflict, and so um, I've got better. I've understood the, the the importance of standing in and for it, but it took me many years with working with team members or working in partnership with other people, collaborating to to learn that if you're conflict avoidant, conflict's going to find you. <laughs> you know, it's like if you if you aren't willing to have that difficult conversation, there's going to be a really bad smell in the house for a year. <laughs> and, and so it's kind of like, you know, can you deal with the bad smell the first day or week or at the worst case month that you notice it's there? Um, how, do, would you say you've, you've come away with that now, five years later? It's, um, it's been very hard. I, I, I've had to part ways with several people involved and um, that's been really painful. Yes. Um, one of them was my codependent relationship that I brought into the nonprofit, my romantic co- codependent yeah. relationship that was uh, really hard in terms of how did I draw boundaries and conflict avoid with my board was getting nervous about his involvement. And I was just like in the middle trying to be um, peacemaker. And then that eventually ended. And then I, I then hired someone else that I thought was going to be a huge asset. And um, that didn't work out, but I, I, I would say I called, I called it quicker. As soon as I felt some, um, I felt just um, disrespected, and so I, I named it. And I think that only went on about two months, maybe three. That's good. But- no, that's here's what here's what you're here's what you're framing, which is a truth I think many of us relate to. It's like. You know, it's like if you have a really, really bad relationship and it's really hard to get out of and it takes everything from you, you might repeat some of that pattern, but it will never be as bad the next time. You'll, you might, you might, you know, they might be a bit nicer in certain ways, but still have some. So I do think we're constantly, we, we experientially learn how to upgrade because our body tells us when we're back in that kind of same energy. And the body raises an alarm because it has a past experience where it goes, oh, hang on a second. Last time we let this go on for too long, we ended up down there. So I do, I think that's the way for most of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the romantic one took six years. And like, yeah, I will never, ever let something like that drag on. And I, um, I've been actually feeling so good being alone in terms of my purpose and feeling like um, those past dynamics were pulling me from my purpose and pulling me from my passion. And so it's been really good to just be like, I am solo full on. I mean, I quarantined single, wow. <laughs> you know, 
in 400 square feet. I was like, if I can do this, yeah, I'm not afraid of being alone anymore. How, how many weeks were you quarantined in, in the apartment? I would say fully alone for maybe three weeks. And then I had a quarantine buddy who works for me, works for Dance to Be Free, my assistant. She's just awesome. And so we kind of spent a lot of time. And then I was thinking, oh, I probably shouldn't be seeing anyone. But it was um, it was really powerful to do that alone. And I, it wasn't bad, you know? Yeah. yeah. What has it changed for you around Dance to Be Free? I mean, I know we're still in a lot of the quarantine circumstance, so it, I'm aware that, you know, prisons are going to take time, certain prisons to let you back in. But I'm wondering, did because I'm seeing a lot of people have a new sense of purpose or a new idea or a shift has happened through this. What has shifted for you around the work that you're doing in the world and your why? Well, um, a big shift has been since George Floyd and that horrific yeah. um, event. And then... I have been peeling back the onion. And I think what's alarming me is that when I started Dance to Be Free, I wanted to stay out of the race conversation because I thought it's about trauma. And um, I honestly, where I was going in Colorado and Nebraska was primarily white. The prisoners were majority white. And um, so I was just like, huh, I'm not really seeing the, the race issue here. And then um, I had a really good friend of mine who does a lot of white awareness work trying to point things out over the years. And I, I could just feel myself like, hmm, I don't know. And, and, and I think if I was in my own denial, you know, I think instead of saying white privilege, it helps to say white denial or white silence or white cowardice. But um, it just was interesting to see how I wouldn't fully let in the race conversation. And then as I go into the South, um, it's so different. And, and the last time I went into Mississippi, there was um, Demetrius with me, who's black. And then a bunch of black women were in the training and they came up to Demetrius one day and said, if a white woman makes a complaint about a black woman, there's no questions asked. Do you get written up or you're thrown in solitary? And I, and they were telling Demetrius, not me. And I was just standing there kind of listening and thought, Oh, that's so sad. Like I've been there three or four times and they hadn't told me. And I wondered if I am just unconsciously not even safe deep down. Um, I represent a lot. I mean, I am as pale as they get <laughs> blue eyes, the whole thing. And I, I feel super welcomed and loved, honestly. Um, but they, you know, they, the women even call me Miss Lucy and it's like, whoo, okay. And so, um, just the remnants of slavery that are, um, in that area of the country and a place like Mississippi holds so much trauma. There were the most lynchings in that state than any other state. Um, and I just was watching Mississippi Burning, which is such a tragic movie I recommend watching. Um, you know, this little girl, Ruby Bridge, was trying to go to school when she was maybe six and these white people were screaming at her. Um, they had a, you know, government agent had to escort her to school every day. And um, a white woman on the side was screaming and she held up a coffin with a, a black doll in the coffin to, you know, terrorize this little girl who's trying to learn. And, and then, you know, just being in that civil rights museum, there's just so much that I want to do down there. And I think um, I want to get in Kelsey involved and mm -hmm. um, she's so brilliant and she's doing a ton around um, oppression and the body and um, white supremacy in the body. So I'm hoping to collaborate with her because I think I've been blind to maybe my unquestioned even authority or um, power that I have just walking in. And, um, and then I think about the, the book, My Grandmother's Hands, which I really recommend. And it's about racialized trauma in the black body, the white body and the blue body, meaning 
police law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And, and he's saying, uh, Resma Manikim is his name. He said that what white people have done to black people was done to us as European um, descendants. We're actually just transferring the trauma on. And, um, and what he said, which was like, Ugh, was what does the white body have to do to remain silent to such hor- like horrific brutality? And I think what spiritually, you know, almost had to die in us to, I mean, I just saw a photograph from, I, I think the early 1900s of a black man hanging from a tree while white people just stood there with, you know, their hands on their hips, like they were talking about the weather. And there were two little white girls and I'm thinking, what is happening in the white psyche and body to just think that's even in the realm of, so I, I feel like I have so much learning to do. And I, just a quick story, I, my family's from Virginia and there's a memoir um, from my pat, my, it's a really interesting, can you see that? The Children of Bladen's Field. <laughs> So this, uh, my family bought this plantation in the 1840s, but this actual plantation was built in 1690. Um, I think there were slaves there when they got this property. And then I went down there in the 80s. So when I was, uh, I don't know, 10 years old and I was playing with this dollhouse and it was so big. It was, it was, you know, huge. I just, it was so memorable, like big dolls and big rocking chairs. And I was just like, I always remembered that dollhouse. And when I looked through this memoir recently, I saw that dollhouse and it said slave built dollhouse. And I thought I was playing with slave toys. <laughs> like what in my, yeah. and it, the haze, you know, again, of like, whoa. And it was my ex-boyfriend who asked my mom over Christmas one time, did you have slaves in your ancestry? <laughs> I need to take him. Maybe that's why we were together. So he could, and, and my mom just said, yeah, you know, it was just kind of matter of fact. And, um, but that kind of, I just have some unraveling to do. I think Dance to be Free the the per, my purpose feels a little bit um, shifting mm. to the deep south and and that's primarily where we are but I feel like I want to really hunker down there because um, I it, it's like I'm realizing black people have literally never had a shot at thriving mm-hmm. at, ever in our history and and when I see um, people say it's about behavior, not color. I, I just, I just think um, we don't know our history. And, and the more I unravel around the predatory mortgage le- loaning they would do, and we created the ghetto. I mean, it just, go, which leads to mass incarceration. And then it's just like, why can't they pull themselves up by their bootstraps? And then it never the system never reflects on the whiteness of the whole madness. And it's always on objectifying why they do this and why. Um, and so it's, it's on us. It's on us to do the um, work. And so it feels like a shift um, to devote, you know, more into like Alabama, Georgia, um, and, and go back to Mississippi more and, and Arkansas. Arkansas is literally just, I think they're, they're struggling. They, they're the ones I heard are 22 hours in the barracks, no movement. Oh. So I, yeah, I've even thought like psychically I, about, you know, maybe I should have a session with you. <laughs> like, like, is there some major karma? Is It's just kind of what I wonder. Well, you know, I think just it was interesting when you share like the history in your family. It's no great surprise that you, from what I know of you and your family, you came and I'm sure many people watching and listening will relate to this. You came into your family as a bit of a disruptor, (laughs) right? And you came in as the one to slightly challenge that, well, more than slightly sometimes challenge the status quo, do the unexpected thing. And and so interestingly, you've now channeled that disruptive energy into being a disruptive force f- 
for good. Mm-hmm. But, but what I also got from what you were saying, and Lucy, you you know, you hearing what you would say to me years ago about what you were experiencing in prisons was educational for me. Mm-hmm. And you were bringing me closer to, especially because I didn't grow up in this country. You know, I've only been here eight years. It's different here. Uh, slave racism is in the UK, but it's different here. It's definitely there's something very deep in the lineage because of slavery that that I'm still learning to understand. But something I I, I was reading Robin DeAngelo's White Fragility book of about three months ago, and she lays out the defensiveness that we as white people can have when we are invited to see where we are racist. And I was, I saw this book in Canada. We were doing some workshops there and I saw it in a bookshop and I thought, I have to get that. I have to read that. And this was before any of these new racial murders were happening. Um, and before this, the book went like to number one on Amazon. But what was so good about it for me was it was textbook watching people's reactions on social media, watching how people wanted to fight, seeing people not understanding why saying all lives matter is not okay. And I even, I have someone in my life who is a very sweet person, but I, she, she, uh, she expressed how sad she felt for black people right now. And that was all she said. And I just challenged her and I said, our sadness isn't what they need. I said, that's no, that's no good. That doesn't serve anybody. I said, we should be, we should be everything from angry to what can we do to change this? I said, we, we should go through all the emotions, but if we're just sad, we're passively watching a group of people who it's like, oh, it's a shame that they always get a hard, a hard go of it, isn't it? Rather than going, oh, hang on a second, we're all here together and this system is a mess. And, and you know, like I said to you, Lucy, having channeled for so many years, I've always known that this time was going to be rough. Um, that the system, you know, the, 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 the guides who I channel for years have said, oh yeah, your systems are going to go through a complete overhaul and it's going to be messy and it's going to be uncomfortable. So as hard as this time is, and there are days when like anybody, I feel I can have defeat about things or you feel I can't take any, I can't take anymore. Then something shifts and you go, okay, and now I'm seeing someone being part of the solution. And now I'm seeing a way to be part of the solution. And I'm, it's a tiny bit of progress. And I I think we have to be heartened by that in times like these. Otherwise we lose our hearts. And if we lose our hearts, that's when defeat kicks in. So I think what you're doing, yeah, is there some karma? But I think there is for all of us. I think for all of us right now, we're at this time on the planet where the shadow of humanity is coming up in all different ways and and we're having to reckon with it yeah and such a good example that comment i feel sad it's like again it's putting it on black bodies instead i feel sad for us that we are so sick that we've done this for this many years or ignored it in my case I mean, the simplest thing I I got from Robin D'Angelo was I've lived in segregation my whole life. Mm. That thought just hit me, you know, of, um, or I know I didn't consider white as a race. Mm. I thought race was there and, um, and I didn't learn anything in grad school about my own racism. Mm. It, It was a multiculturalism class that could not have been more dull. And it, if I think, Robin D'Angelo has been doing this work for so long. I know she just wrote that book in 2018 and I finished grad school, but like how much more vitalizing that would have been to say, we are in a trance that is so thick that even as liberal, white, educated people, there's such defensiveness. Yeah. And, I, and I've seen it in friends and I've been so disappointed and, and it scared me because I thought, you know, love and light talk, or, um, you know, I just want to focus on love and light. I'm like, because you can, mm-hmm. I mean, I like black bodies are on the front lines every day. And I, I, I just, I got a little hopeless when I saw, um, educated friends be so, um, 
clueless. And so I, I have been feeling like a disruptor um, with my family on Facebook, cousins, aunts that would say things I would never reply to or comment on. And now I'm saying no more. I'm not, I'm not going to just ignore your completely oblivious share where, I don't know, you're quoting Morgan Freeman. That's the big thing. Sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm going you're, you're completely oblivious share where you're quoting Morgan Freeman. <laughs> well, there's the, the, uh, right wingers will send me videos like Morgan Freeman saying racism isn't a problem or um, the black elite are not always helpful to the cause. Um, right. Rappers and actors, Morgan Freeman um, said, just stop talking about race and it will go away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I just, oof. Skin folk don't mean kin folk. <laughs> Right. And I think anything that's used defensively, uh, whatever context it was originally given in, because uh, who knows when he said that or what wider context that one sentence he was using. I don't know because I haven't seen the whole thing. But yeah, anything that's used defensively. But it's, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of something that um, a relative of Stephen shared with me that she was one of the first black kids to go into the first segregated school and it was literally there were four or five of them that were allowed into what had previously been a white only school so this is back in I think the 60s I'm guessing this was and she shared how they begged and pleaded their parents not to be sent there but their parents were adamant they needed to go because this was um, really important for the cause and because they fought hard to get this and they said it was hell they said their lives were hell, like they were bullied horribly by pretty much all the other white students there. And so, you know, when I, when I heard that story a few years ago, it, it, it was just yet another puzzle piece for me to try and piece this together. Um, yeah, in, in the limited understanding I had. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's not for the faint-hearted right now, but at the same time, I, I don't think, I think if us being uncomfortable and having to learn some stuff is the hardest part of racism that we're having to deal with versus like you said the bodies that have been on the front line it's nothing and so so i celebrate you being a disruptor and i think you're a disruptor but like any of us even if we are disruptors on the planet we're also disrupted like life is disrupting us learning is disrupting us the whole thing is you know, one moment you're a teacher, the next moment you're a student, and that's just the role that we all play as human beings. Yeah, it's it's an, such an intense time. I'm I'm in my bubble of Boulder, and I've thought about leaving because I. It's just I, there's no people of color in my life, and it, it's my loss. You know, I'm missing out on so much and so sometimes i think about leaving and i um and i do get a little hopeless there are times where i'm like this is actually really dark like i just saw five people were lynched and i'm thinking mm -hmm. this is um it's so scary how hate can go so deep and i um I'd like to think it's on the fringe and, you know, seeing all these protesters filling up the streets all over the world was so encouraging. Yeah. Um, but the, the, just how it feels like a trance. And I, I just use that word. Cause it's like, how have I been asleep? How have we all been asleep? And, and it's harming all of us. It's harming white people to um, be indoctrinated. I think we've been fed some weird uh, system that is, is so damaging to the entire planet. I think it's at the core of every issue. You know, so when people say, what about the environment or what about immigration? I'm like, this is the core <laughs> of planetary racism. It's been in every, I mean, our ancestors took over the world. <laughs> mm -hmm everywhere it's english and i and i have 
I always say I have the oppressor and the oppressed. I've got Scotland and... <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always, I, like when I look at England's history, having, you know, been born in England, in this life anyway, yeah. um, I'm blown away when you look at this teeny tiny little island that had the arrogance to, <laughs> to like go around, <laughs> like how, what? Anyway, I mean, it, you know, it is, it, but, but you know, where I, where I always land even if I have a bad day or, you know, uh, you know, a bad few days or it feels heavy and the darkness feels overwhelming where I always land is this is the, this is the make or break time in, in human race history. It's like the earth's still going to be here. The universe is still going to be here, but this is the make or break time for human race, the human race. And so, yeah, a lot of this ugliness has to come up and out. And even though you say you're in your boulder bubble, which I get it because I lived in the Boulder bubble for a few years and it, it held me really well. But like you, I was traveling off a lot. You're going into the heart of the opposite of that bubble and coming back and reporting and moving the energy. So I, you know, wherever you end up landing, I have no doubt that you will be somebody who is bridging and balancing wherever it is you live. Um, but I just want to say thank you for what you do. And I love what you do. And I love, um, you know, that you have also made it easy for people like myself, who I'm not doing what you're doing, but you've made it easy for us to support you, those of us that want to and can with a financial donation. You now have your monthly donations for this past year. And we, my company loves being one of your donators. So if anybody is, is inspired and you want to, help Lucy's mission and the work that you and all your team do. Um, they can find out how to do that at dancetobefree.org. They can also take your classes. And I will bet you, Lucy, that this conversation that we're having uh, is, is the beginning of the conversation arc of your work. Meaning, I don't mean sitting and doing an interview with somebody. I mean, I think what you've been doing physically for the last five years, I predict this next five years for you is going to be about being a verbal advocate as well mm. around this topic and around sharing and around communicating because I'm just one of many people who you touched with the knowledge you brought to my door five years ago and continue to through the work that you do and that I see you doing. So I celebrate you finding the ways in the years to come to put your voice out into the world and be a voice for the voiceless so that the rest of us can, can, can learn and shift that balance so that more people have a voice than have traditionally been allowed to have. Yeah. It's such a good point. Really. They're voiceless. It's such a tragic metaphor and reality. And I love the verbal advocate. Um, that feels good. Yeah, there's so much um, we could all learn. I mean, just the simple fact of going to Mississippi. I, I don't know really anyone who's even been there. <laughs> you know, just flying into that. It's like a, a area of the country of just like, oh. And I, I feel um, there's a lot of healing to be done there. And so, um, yeah, thank you so much. There are people of color in my life who will not, who have told me categorically, I'm not going to the South. Like they've just, and, and that, that kind of told me everything I needed to know because it was multiple people of color that I know who've, who've said that categorically. And I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, so many people of color fled and then went um, North where it was better, but still filled with so many challenges. I just, right. that kind of can't, believe um the traps that are just constantly set for failure and it, it's like designed that way and and then i think of the prison system is not actually broken this is designed to have people fail so what's that about you know and um there is a lot i'm meeting a lot of white um women but they're not in prison because of their race you know right it's trauma across the board but um yeah yeah more will be revealed 
Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like I said, the next few years, I, I, I just see this rising in you. It's almost, it's interesting talking to you five years later and right. having this interview with you because I feel like five years from now, there will be a, an extra three or four layers to your work that will continue with the same mission, but will be serving and outreaching in different ways. So thank you, Lucy, for doing what you do and all the team that work with you and love you very much, my friend. And I'm really glad that you, you were able to come on the show. I'm so honored. Thank you, Lucy. Take care. So dancetobefree.org is where you can find out more about Lucy and her amazing work and the team that she works with. You can support if you want to do a one-off donation or a monthly contribution. And I highly recommend getting jiggy with Lucy on one of her Zoom dance classes because I ain't no choreography person and I had a blast. So um, yeah, check it all out at dancetobefree.org. Thanks so much, Lucy. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Impact the World. And if you want to go deeper and more in depth with my work, you should check out my members group, The Portal. You can find it at my website, leeharrisenergy.com or visit theportal.world.